Rob and Katie in the morning. Hey, welcome to our Monday afternoon podcast. We've been titled More Than a Feeling. We've been talking about emotions and our biblical response to them. And as always, I have Katie with me from the marketing department to talk about what's going on at Keswick. And so we have some really neat things coming up. So Katie, take it away. What do we got? So number one, we have our next family getaway weekend and we're calling it Showers to Flowers. And it's going to be April 30th to May 2nd. And so we're going to have um, a bunch of programming going on, activities for the whole family. I know that uh, Jim Lang and James Serpico are coming up with a really cool game that we're all going to play together. And it's supposed to be a lot of fun. And that Saturday night, the 1st of May, we're having another uh, coffee house worship night with the Colony Grab Band. And it's $5, and you can register for that on our website, which is www.americaskesic.org. Or you can call 1-800-453-7942 for more information. Nice. And then, oh. and then we have our, <laughs> drum roll please, 13th Annual Family Freedom Walk coming up on May 8th. And um, it's going to be a really cool day. Our goal is $125,000 to help families impacted by addiction and to support our addiction recovery ministries here. And so if you want to get involved and um, just raise money and make a team, you can go on our website again, which is www.americaskeswick.org. And um, all the forms are there and how to get signed up and all that kind of stuff. Stuff. So for 13 years they've been doing this. And so mm -hmm. people hear numbers like $120,000, like, man, why do you guys need that much money? That's just like a drop in the bucket for what yeah. we need to keep this ministry going. But I'm telling yeah. you, God's been faithful. Mm -hmm. Last year, uh, we raised above and beyond that in the, in the yeah. beginning of COVID. So mm -hmm. we're really excited. So it's not about whether or not we're going to have enough money. It's whether or not you're going to partner with God to see, you know, to be a part of what God's going to do. So we're really yeah. encouraged by this year's walk. So make sure you take a part of that. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15 to close out our series on more than a feeling and today we're going to talk about uh, resentment turning into joy by us responding to our emotions correctly so let's get into the word so we're going to look at Luke chapter 15 but we're going to do something a little bit different today I'm going to have you listen to a message one of the last messages that I preached at Calvary Bible Church entitled God's Sovereign View and this was a wrap-up to our series on the prodigal son and this is showing the perspective of God looking at the entire situation of the younger son who fled and the older son who stayed and the father who loved them both. At the end of the message, there will be a, uh, a special music number from my sister, Jackie Vasquez, who is the worship leader at Recovery House of Worship, Staten Island. This is normal. This is longer than our normal podcast will be, but I, I invite you to listen in. All right. God bless you. Good morning, everybody. For those that are joining us by the way of live stream, my name is Rob and I serve here as the senior pastor of Calvary Bible. And you've come on the last week of our series in 
prodigal. And we're going through Luke chapter 15. And for the last three weeks, we've been looking at Luke chapter 15. We've started talking about the two parables that enter, uh, that, that intro the story of the prodigal son. And then we looked at the story from the, the angle of the younger son and the perspective of the older son. And today, to close out our series, I want us to see the perspective of God throughout Luke chapter 15. Uh, I got a, a story that I have to share, and I hope, um, I know the prayer team has has prayed, and I don't know if I share this with everybody. My dad had to get um, uh, an, an angiogram, and they found a blockage, and they had to put a stent in, and that happened two days ago. And so, you know, um, those of us who, who still have our parents, especially those of us who, who don't have our parents, when it comes to our parents, when they get older, you know, we get very concerned, and this is the first time that I've had to deal with that. And so, like, I've been thinking about uh, just the view of the father, and I, I was thinking about a, a funny story, uh, a couple of them about my dad. I, I've, I've shared this with you before. My dad is the best way to describe it as being thrifty, right? I don't like saying that he's cheap because he's not cheap, but he's very, very thrifty. Um, my dad lives for store brands. You know what I'm saying? Like, generic stuff is what my dad thrives on. And um, one day, uh, he sent me to the store, and he, uh, he gave me a $20 bill, and I was supposed to buy something. And when I got back, you know, everything was fine. I was, I was so um, just looking forward to getting exactly what my dad needed because he sent me to advanced auto parts. And, I, like, I don't really know cars well enough to fix them. I can drive them. I can crash them. But, you know, I can't fix them. And so he sent me to get certain things, and I came back, and I was so just determined to get the right thing that I, I gave my dad the bag and the receipts. like, Good job, good job. And I'm like, good. Then he goes, where's my change? My dad, also, he uh, really fought hard to make sure that we did good in school. Um, you know, my parents never went to college, and so my older brother was the first kid in our family to go to college. And um, I remember I would, uh, I would come home from taking a test, and I studied really hard, and I got a 93 on a test. And I'm like, dude, that's a solid A, awesome. My dad asks me every time. Where are the other seven points? My dad, his view of the world has always been, unless things come around full circle and things are completed, they're not of much value. So taking a test and only getting 93 when you could have gotten 100, and man, I never told my dad about extra credit, that I could actually get like 105, blew his mind. The fact that, you know, the transaction wasn't completed from advanced auto parts until what happened? I gave him back what? The change. Then it was completed. You ever saw the, um, I don't know if you guys ever seen the movie uh, with Tom Cruise called Jerry Maguire? And at the end, he, he tries to, uh, to get Renee Zellweger to, to really just like, you know, to, to fall in love with him again. And he says all these things and he just keeps going. And then he says this phrase, he goes, you complete me. You know, it's such a cliche when we talk about how relationships have to have this feeling of completion. But what I want to share with you today is not only does God value us, if God has called us to himself, he does not stop until you're in the family because to him he's not satisfied until his family is complete. And when we look at Luke chapter 15, from the first parable of the last lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, and then moving into the, 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 the parable of the prodigal son and the older son, what I want you to see about God's sovereign view 
is that because he is the author and the finisher of our faith, that he is, that Jesus Christ is the executor of God's will and the Holy Spirit is the sealer of that commitment. What I want you to see from Luke chapter 15 is that if God loves you and he called you, he's going to pursue you to the uttermost. Because in his heart and in his divine mind, he's not done until he's reached you. And so we see that from all three parables. So today, we're going to read through the whole chapter. Luke chapter 15, verses 1, and we're going to go all the way down to the end of the chapter in verse 32. The Word of God says this, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. We're talking about Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts on it on its shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, her friends, she calls her friends and neighbors together and say, rejoice with me because I have found the, the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. For while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and so they began to celebrate. Now, the older son, he was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and he heard dancing. And so he summoned one of the servants and questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told them, and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. His father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and you ne never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Son, he said to him, you're always with me, 
And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Are you thankful for the Father's love this morning? His view over who we are, his view over the situation, the conundrum that we're in, the fact that without a personal relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ, you and I are destined for an eternity separated from God in a, in a place the Bible describes as a literal lake of fire or hell. And we don't think about it often, especially once we've come to the Father, but do you realize the rescue that the Father had for you? That His love was so deep, His compassion was so wide, that everything that He does is for our good and for His glory. To be included in the plan. To simply be part of God's big plan should move us to tears and put us on our knees. The way God values us, the way God sees his family as incomplete until you come to him should move you in ways that nothing else should. So when we look at this first parable, of the lost sheep, the story is really familiar and it's quite easy. There were a hundred sheep. There was a chief shepherd and other shepherds probably with him in the field. And one of the sheep runs away, heads to danger. And the chief she uh, shepherd does what? He goes and he runs after the sheep. And the way Jesus describes this story, that remember, he's telling to Pharisees that Jesus, I believe his heart is breaking for the fact that they don't see this, but at the same time, it was Jesus' task to take them to task for what they've done. And so this divine heart that had enough space to be angry and also upset at the same time, he tells them, who, which one of you wouldn't? Go after this one sheep that ran away. And when, remember, about two weeks ago, we talked about this. Well, I don't know. We still had 99, right? Most of us aren't business owners. But those of you who are business owners, you'd run after that one sheep as well. Who here goes, man, I have 100 bucks. I lost one. All right, I got 99 now. No, we're going to find that $1, Amen. Because it's a lot better saying you're a millionaire than saying you are a 999,099 heir. Right? I mean, you, you're going to go. Why? Because you not only value that one sheep, but the fact of the matter is having 99 screams out incompletion. Which business owner would start a shift saying, I have this much money and start the next shift saying, I only have this much money, and be okay with that. You'd be out of business in a week. So they understood this. 
That, you know, why would, why would he go? Of course, because there's value and there's also completion in it. But this is how God, like Emerald, kicks it up a notch. Bam. It's not that he just wants completion and value. He values this completion so much that when that one sheep is back, they party. You know what would messed up, though? If they killed one of the sheep for food, that would be kind of messes up the whole thing, right? But they party. They get this one sheep back, and now they have a hundred, and they party. And he says this, that party is nothing compared to what happens in heaven when one person comes to Jesus. And so I love that in this parable, he not just tells the story, this earthly story with a heavenly meeting, he actually shows us what's going on in heaven, so he kind of breaks the fourth wall. And says, hey, this is our story, but in all intents and reality, this is exactly what would happen in heaven based on what happened on earth. Heaven is so much better than earth. And God values your life so much that when you come to Jesus, angels in heaven actually rejoice. So let's move on to the next parable. Okay, we're talking about value and we're talking about completion. So the second story talks about a woman who loses a coin. And we didn't spend a lot of time on this during our introductory week, but I want you to understand something about these coins. Okay, so what would happen is someone who, a woman that needed a husband, right? She had to show back in the day that she was worth it monetarily. I know. Hashtag me too. I, I get it. It's... It's not cool today, but back then this is how it worked, right? They had, the woman had to have something either coming from her family or coming from her own substance. And so the way that she would show that she's worth marrying, I know, again, messed up, right? But back then, this is what they did. She would put the 10 coins on her forehead. So when she walked around, people were like, okay, sweet, right? So imagine if custom is to walk around with 10 coins, then all of a sudden now you're walking around with nine. Questions start being asked. Is her family losing money? What did she do to lose that coin? She is now second best. And so for a woman who wants to get married, especially around the age before, you know, back then it was very big for a woman to get married by a certain age in order to have children and all those things and to make sure that she's not a burden on her mom. I know, I know. It's not the way it is today, but it's the way it was back then. It was a big deal for her to lose one of these 10 coins. So much so, I can imagine her quarantining until she found it. She may not have went out in public with nine coins, in her mind, eh, nine's good enough, wasn't even on the table. She needed 10 coins to show that she had value, self-worth. And God says she searched all over the place for that 10 coin, for that 10th coin. And when she found it, what does she do? She calls all her friends. Quarantine has been lifted. Come on over, let's party. I found my 10th coin. Because now everything's okay. I am now, I recognize that now I have value. Now I am part of a family, hopefully. There is completion in the ten coins. And God says, you think a single woman who wants to get married gets excited when she finds her tenth coin? That's nothing compared to what happens in heaven when someone comes to Jesus. 
So he hits them in the first two parables. And remember, he's specifically talking to the Pharisees. But if you can't glean something from this, man, I'm sorry, but like your fire's never going to get lit because your wood's wet. I mean, honestly, if you don't see the value that God has on your life, how God values the life of other people, you are just as bad as the Pharisees. And so he tells them, hey, I'm going to hit them with the practical angle about the sheep. I'm going to hit them with the religious and the social angle of, 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 a, of a woman who needs her ten coins. So now he's going to hit them where they really need to hit it in their relationships and in their family. And so he gives them this story. So remember, God values you and God sees you as part of the puzzle. And God doesn't do anything incomplete. So he tells them the story. A man had two sons. And the younger son comes to the father and he says, I, I want my inheritance now. And so I want you to think a second about the, the father's view of this. The father raises two sons. And he's trying to raise them right. And one day the younger one comes and says, Hey, I really don't care about you so much, but I really care about what I'm going to get when you die. Right? And you say, man, that's really cold. Right? Here's the thing. Do you realize every time that you focus on the blessings of God and don't focus on what needs to be corrected in your life to get closer to God, you're just like that younger son. Oh, I, I don't want to hear about hell so much. I don't want to hear about sin so much. I just want to hear about how God loves me and everything's fine. And I'm going to read blogs that make me feel better. How about blogs that show you who you really are in order to get closer to the Father? The younger son, for lack of a better term, forgot his place. And thought about himself, and he asked for his inheritance. So the father, because everything is his children's, when he dies, separates the inheritance. Now you may say this, man, why did the father do that? He didn't have to. He could have said, no. He could have said, until you, what? My dead body. But he didn't. He gave it to him. He gave it to both sons like we talked about last week. You know, from the father's perspective and from God's perspective, there are times, and the ladies have been talking about this in their Bible study, there are times where God allows you to do things that you shouldn't do. Sometimes God doesn't stop the flood. Sometimes God allows things to happen that you did on your own because sometimes, like we spoke about, God needs you to get to the rock bottom for you to realize that he's all that you need. This is all in the sovereignty of God. Everything in these stories is still under the sovereign hand of God. God has orchestrated everything in history to this moment right now. And so when this idea of the son leaving, it hurt the father, but he allowed it to happen. So we pick up in the story, the son leaves. Verse 13, 13 not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. 
So the son wasted no time. The younger son wasted no time to, to leave, and we know what happened. He left. He went to a far distant country, and he spent his entire estate on everything. And we know while he was there, uh, several things happened to him. A famine struck. We know that when the famine struck, he had nothing, and he went to go get a job feeding pigs and was so hungry and so broke that he would have eaten what the pigs ate. But the Bible says nobody gave him anything. So even in the midst of, I mean, honestly, if you, even if you work at a fast food restaurant, they usually feed you. There was no food. Why? There was a famine. And the pigs were more valuable than this guy. In a famine, it struck the economy. And in the economy of this far country, pigs were property and they had value more than this young kid did. So nobody fed him. So the Bible says when he comes to his senses, this is what he immediately re remembers, that the servants of his father always have enough to eat. It's interesting. When the story breaks to tell the main part of the story about the younger son, the sovereignty of the father is still there. What brings the son to repentance? The goodness of the Father. The Bible says it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Yeah, preaching hellfire, yes, should be done. Preaching about the blood of Jesus, yes. Preaching about all the, the, the morals and standards of the word of God and that now we have the liberty to live the way God wants us to, yes. That is all important. But you know what works the best to bring you back to him when you recognize how good he is to you? Mark it down. That is the, the most powerful uh, mode of repentance is when you start remembering how good God is, especially over whatever you're doing. And so the sovereignty of who, or what the Father can provide is what brings him back to his senses. And that's what repentance is, that we finally come back to our senses and we recognize who we are, an aspect of who God is, and we recognize that we've messed up and we have to go back to the Father. So he starts his journey. And we know the story, he starts his journey, and on the journey, he starts to have this script that he wants to tell his dad, Dad, I can't be your son anymore. I know I messed that up. Can I at least work for you so I can eat? It's really bad out here. I'm coming home. I've sinned against, he even got man spiritual. I sinned against God. I sinned against you. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta come back. And he starts coming back. And the Bible says, even while he's still afar off, the father sees him and runs to him. See, we think in our pharisaical, religious, and traditional minds, we think when we repent, we're doing all the running. Not recognizing God has been waiting for you, knowing full well that his goodness is going to bring you home, and so he waits for you to finally get it. And so he waits for you to, to hit your rock bottom. He waits for everything that he's given you to be wasted in the wrong way, for you to finally go, I don't need stuff. I need my dad. And that's a lesson that all of us need to get. Even the blessings of God don't compare to God. 
The Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, he puts it this way. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he says he suffered the loss of all things to simply know who Jesus is. That more important than his accolades, more important than his success as a missionary, more important than even the, 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 the ego smoothing he could get by people praying for him while he's in prison, even when he's at his lowest, he says, man, it's not, it's not just your prayers that make me feel better, it's my identity in Christ that causes me to move on even in the worst conditions. And so the son, he's going back to the father for a practical purpose. It stinks in the far country. There's no food in the far country. But the father runs to him saying, my son is home. You see, the father knew that the son couldn't handle the inheritance. He knew his son. He knew his youngest. But sometimes God allows us to do things in order for us to realize that He's all that we need. So the Bible uh, gives us the illustration Jesus wrote, and nobody can write better than Jesus. Amen? He says this, the son said to him, uh, well, well, but while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. Not only did the father run and then go, took you long enough, or like, here comes trouble, or whatever we as parents want to say to our kids like, to give them like a big I told you so. He doesn't do any of that. He runs, grabs him, and kisses him. God has always been a God of justice, but God is also a God of continuous compassion. And he was so happy that his son was not just home. I believe the hug and the kiss really means... God, the Father, was happy that the Son was back in his presence. Because, man, it's not about having the Son on your property. It's about having the Son closer. So I, I have a, a friend of mine who's, like, stinking rich. Not just rich, but, like, the kind of rich, if I was that rich, I wouldn't talk to any of y'all. Like, that kind of rich, right? And he was so rich that he decided that he was going to keep this. The funny thing is, he had like hundreds of acres of farmland, but he wasn't a farmer. He just, he could buy it, so he had it. He actually had farmers that farmed the land for him, and he, it's just, I don't get how he does that, right? So he had three kids, and he had the uh, land so much and had so much money that he wanted to build each of his kids' houses on the corners of their property and then he was going to uh, use some of their money that that he that they would get to buy like the corners of the acre so that it would just get expand bigger and bigger out right and so the four kids took him up on the offer and they have these like bawling houses like on this huge property but you know what my friend told me he hardly ever sees his kids and they live on the same stinking property it's not about being home it's about being with the Father. The Pharisees loved being by the temple. But they were so far removed from having a relationship with the Heavenly Father. So it wasn't about just having him closer. He wanted him close enough to hug his neck and kiss him. 
This is the intimacy that the Father wants with us. This is the closeness. This is the completion. This is the value that God sees on having a personal relationship with us. And so the son starts saying his speech like we spoke about. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it's so interesting. Aren't you, aren't you thankful for the grace and mercy of God when we pray and say the stupidest things? God just goes, yeah, I, okay, whatever, you know? Like, this is why you have the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is who gives utterance to God the Father and lets him know what you need, not what you want. So when we say some harebrained stuff to the Father, when we, when we cry out some false doctrine because of some blog that we read, God the Father goes, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> he knows what you need. And if you're in his presence, he can teach you from his word what you need to know. So God's pursuit is to get you close to him so that you'll finally listen to what he says. And so the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Like we talked about when we looked at the, the, uh, the, the perspective of the younger son, these are things that the younger son didn't think he deserved, but the father gave it to him. And the thing, what I want to tell you from the perspective of the father, this wasn't like, the father gave it to him anyway, even though he, the father gave him these things because this is his son. Your position in Christ is what causes you to have the blessings, not whether you mess up or not. You're not going to get any more of God after you got saved. You got all of salvation when you called on Jesus. There is no second tier, first tier. This is what he was trying to teach the Pharisees. There aren't, there aren't VIP rooms in heaven. The reason why he got the robe, the reason why he got the ring, the reason why he got the sandals is because he was his father's son and he wanted everybody to know it. You're not like one of the servants. You are different than them. And this is the reason why the Bible calls us when we come to Jesus, not only to live differently and act differently, but it, 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 what God wants the world to see is that a life is changed because you are no longer a citizen of this country. You are a citizen of heaven. You act differently when you know the Father. And you become more intimately aware of how you're supposed to act when you are close to the Father. And so he gives him these things to show everyone, this is my son. And the Bible says all of us, if we've accepted Jesus Christ, if you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you are a child of God, which is a distinction that not everybody has. If someone tells you we're all God's children, they're wrong. We're all God's creation, but those who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are the sons and daughters of God which means we act different. This is why the Bible says we can be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. This is why the Bible says that we live as examples outside and in samples inside the congregation because we are children of the King. You know, religion tells us, I sinned. I hope my dad doesn't find out. Let me fix it. A relationship with Jesus says, I sinned. I got to go tell my dad. It's completely different the way you view the world. And so the father shows him that he's one of his. And then he brings the fatted calf and slaughter it, he says. And let's celebrate with a feast. Just like, remember, this is where the other two parables do the exact same thing. Because this son of mine, here's how the father views you. 
You were dead. The Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. There's no one who seeks after God on their own. We've all gone our own way. But the Bible says that when we come, it says he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. The drastic way the Father views our relationship before him and after him is so different. It's not just that we were a little dark or that we were kind of dead. We were dead and we were lost and we were blind. And we go to being someone who has full sight, someone who has an abundant life, and someone who, who can um, literally use the spiritual GPS to go anywhere in life because you're following the word of God. It's so different knowing the Father. So, that's the view from the younger son, or from the, fa the father to the younger son. Now, verse 25 picks up the story, and, and most commentators will agree the point of this parable was to bring home the point to the Pharisees, because the last two parables end with the story about a celebration and a party. Jesus adds this addendum to the theme about the son coming back or something lost being found by now saying how the older son felt. And you can take this to the bank. This marks the view of the Pharisee, but I want you to see it also may mark your view. So here's what happens. The older son was in the field and he came near the house and he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here. He told him and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And he became angry and didn't want to go in. I, I can just visualize this. There's a party going on inside. I tend to think it was Jewish Latin music. Brady, don't fact check me on that, but I'm sure there's a mix somewhere like that, right? And, you know, in the middle of, of hearing something from Rabbi Mark Anthony or something, like, you know, there's, they're going and they're dancing, like, go, Dad, go, Dad. And the younger son, go, younger son, go, younger son, go, older son. And the music just stops. Where's the older son? And the dad, not angry, the dad, concerned, goes and finds the older son. And this is what he says. The father came out and pleaded with him. And he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving for you for many years. I've never disobeyed your orders. Lie, he took the inheritance, right? I've never, and, and you never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Remember, we talked about this last week. The older son wasn't interested in having a party with people who repented. He wanted, party, he wanted a party with people who thought like he did, right? His friends. And so when the son of yours came, who devoured his assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. And you know, we talked about this too. The older son had some sort of knowledge what was going on with the younger son because he knew exactly what he spent his money on. But he kept that information in his pocket to use it for when he wanted to. And when the dad comes out, because the party stopped, because the older son isn't there, why? Because the father didn't want to party until his family was complete. He valued the older son as much as he did the younger son, and he wanted the older son to see that. He valued both of them. And he goes out, and the son gives this very angry speech to his father. And the thing that I notice about this is, there are many times that accusations that are true are going to be thrown at the Father about you and me, about who we were, about what we've done. And the Bible says as we look at the book of life on one side, there are books that are being written about everything we've done, good and bad, from the very beginning of, of, of our life. And those books 
want to show the Father how we're not worthy, how we spent our life on riotous living, how we've done all those stuff. These books show the Father how bad we are. But the book of life that comes solely because of a relationship with Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ died for everything in those books, God only sees the book of life. And the Father, listen to what the Son said, and he goes, it's all true. But wake up. Your son, my son was dead. Your brother was dead. And he's now alive. That's the most important part. And the Pharisees didn't get that. They didn't care about the relationship we have with God. They wanted you to live like they lived. They wanted you to be religious because they were religious. They wanted you to dress a certain way because they dressed a certain way. They wanted you to listen to certain kind of music because you li they listened to that kind of music. They wanted you to be a cookie-cutter mold of them. They didn't care about your relationship with the Father. So everything outward is what they worried about. So the, son, the older son just says, hey, he did all this stuff. How dare you do this? And the father just says, Son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. Notice he didn't cast out the older son. He didn't say, get away from me. You already have your inheritance. I want just the younger son. God doesn't play favorites. He wants, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. God's sovereignty and his economy is different than ours. But this is what the Father says, and this is where you see this really perfect closing to the chapter and to what Jesus was trying to share with the Pharisees. Verse 32, we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He's lost and is found. God doesn't make it an option or something that you could do if you want to get closer to him to be rejoiceful when someone comes to Jesus. God literally says it's a part of your spiritual character to be happy when someone comes to Jesus. We should rejoice. We should value. We should see the work that God is completing in us and in others. But never forget this. God's value and God's craving for completion is really shown in how he runs to the sun as the sun is running home. I want you to watch this video to hopefully close it out. And when the video ends, I'll get up and pray and we're dismissed. The story of the prodigal son um, has a lot of deep layers fundamentally it's about the love of Jesus I've been the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter in my case where um, I chased fulfillment in the temporary and by the time I found myself running towards Jesus it was from a shameful place from a dark place from an unworthy place only to find that when I cried out, when I prayed, when I worshiped, that I was met and filled with an overwhelming love.
and that in that love, the shame was lifted, that I wasn't made to feel punished or condemned, that I was made worthy in him, and I was welcomed as his daughter. And that's what the prodigal son, that's the word we receive, is that no matter how far we've gone, the Jesus that we serve is waiting not to condemn you, but to receive you. Lord Jesus, I lift up any person that is feeling lost and alone and very far away, that they would run towards the one that can change everything in an instant. I pray that this song reaches you and blesses you and that you understand that as you run to Jesus, Jesus runs to you.
What gets me about the prodigal son in the story is that you have to tie it in with culture as well. Fathers didn't run. Kids come to the father. You find him wherever he's sitting and you submit yourself to him. 
But Jesus, just like a lot of other things that he does, he, he, he flips the script and he comes running after us. And so I hope that uh, Jackie, who's the worship leader at one of my church plants in, uh, in Staten Island, um, hopefully that, that, that hits something for you. Come back to the Father. He's waiting, and he'll meet you exactly where you are. So looking at Luke chapter 15, we see that resentment should turn into joy. And we've been seeing that for the entire series, that all of these things that seem negative are the beginning of the journey that leads to joy. And it all has to do with how we handle our emotions. Are we going to handle them biblically? Are we going to let our emotions control everything? If we do that, then we're going to be off, off our rocker. So we're talking about joy um, from resentment. So Katie, what's some questions that we have? So... What is something that brings you great joy and how is it a gift from God? So you can put some answers in the thread. Let us know what your greatest joy is. So for me, uh, one of the greatest joys that I have, and this is something that hasn't been that long for me, but like my last year in church planting and then uh, for the last four years is being involved in like coaching a little bit more and pastoring pastors and stuff like that. That's been giving me great joy. And it's been a gift from God because like I said, um, you know, uh, last time that, a lot of the things that I did like my first 10 years of ministry, I regret doing them. And so to be able to like to use those experience and see guys that are going down the same path and go, whoa, you got to mm -hmm. stop doing that. That's been, that's been a gift from God. God giving me the grace and mercy to be able to use the things that weren't so great to help others now. Hmm. Do you ever get jealous or resentful of other people and why? No, come on. Jealous of people for what? No, all the time. <laughs> All the time. I, I challenge any pastor to watch a internet feed from a church that's bigger than yours and not be jealous for a second. You know, I mean, we're all like that, whether in our jobs or whether even in our family, if our sibling gets more attention than we do, you know, we tend we tend to get jealous. And, um, you know, I think the, the reason why it happens is because there's a lack of contentment, mm -hmm. right? If you knew every day, that you are 100% in the center of God's will. Like you literally wake up knowing I am doing exactly what I'm supposed to do today. That's where joy is. And anything that's left or right of that is where the jealousy comes in. Because if you're, if you're where you're supposed to be, why would you want to be anywhere else? Yeah. Like, you know, you ever think about like after a long day of work, you go home and you just relax and maybe you're binge watching something. You're like, ah, you're home, right? You don't want to go back out. <laughs> but that's what we do every every time we look at somebody else. We're like, hey, we're not where we're supposed. We're not where we think we're supposed to be. So we're looking for some something else. That happens to me all the time. I get bored at home and I want to go walk the mall or something because I think I'm missing something. Not realizing, hey, this is where you should be right now, just chilling and relaxing. So the center of God's will is where joy is. Anything outside of that is where jealousy comes from and resentment. Mm -hmm. So, give an example of a person who cheers on your successes. How has it encouraged you? I'm, I'm not going to be the only one that says this, but our president and CEO, Dr. Bill Welty, would be mine. So, I call him Pop. Not everybody gets to call him that, except, well, maybe Zach, because it actually is his Pop. But, you know, um, like, you know, we, uh, Bill has always cheered me on. Even, even in my worst moments, Bill has never disowned me or thought less of me. Mm -hmm. And, and it, he has that that father mentality that every leader 
should have. But he gets that from our Savior. Like he gets that. He gets that from God the Father. He, you know, he emulates Christ in, in that regard. And it's always because he cheers me on. Even things I don't think I should be cheered on about. It's like, well, it's not like, you know, hey, you brushed your teeth today. Good job. <laughs> but, you know, but it's like, you know, I'll just tell him about how a Sunday went at, at church. And he'll be like, great job. You know, and, and, and that's always encouraged me because I know that's someone who's safe. This is this is the neat thing. I can go to Bill about stuff that isn't a success because I know he cheers me on in my successes. And that's how it's supposed to be with our relationship with God. You know he's never going to leave you or forsake you, so you just don't go to God with the good stuff. You go to God with the stuff that's really hurting, and that, yeah. that encourages me. And so I think we got one more. Yeah? Yes. Okay. How does God's grace enable us to find more joy in our lives and to seek community over competition? So I think as we deal with our, like we talked about last time, grief, right? And then we mm -hmm. deal with our resentment, that grows into more levels of repentance, which leads into more uh, restoration and resolve, but then also leads to joy. And in that process to get deeper, I think we have to go deeper with some of the negative stuff. Okay, so let's say this. We got joy in one area of our life, but we're miserable in another area of our life. We don't just be content with the joy in this one area. God, remember Jesus said he wants us to have life, but he wants to have us abundantly. So like the whole aspect of life. So if one area is like, you know, rocking, but the other one's not, that's the one that we have to, okay, so I got joy in this, but man, when it comes to uh, my, my relationships, this is my struggle. I love my job, but I hate, you know, my relationships stink. The relationships where you have to start getting that godly grief over. Okay, why is it? Why is it like that? You know, and let God start to, like, you know, as you're marinating, that God talks you into, into why. And then as that gets going, then that turns into, okay, so maybe it's because I resent people. Maybe it's because, or flip side, maybe I resent my job, but I love people. Either way, it's like, yo, okay, so this is the area I have to work on. God, let's start working on that. So you find more joy, or I think the Bible puts it a lot of times deeper joy by getting the areas that we're not content in and we have resentment in, those have to come out. So that's like, that's why it takes our entire, that's why we don't have time to worry about everybody else's problems. We have enough time and we only have a limited amount of time in our life to worry about our problems. Um, so like, you know, I think if we do this right, you're going to seek community more than resenting other people. Because if you realize, if we're all realizing that we have a lot of work to do, we don't have time mess to mess around with other people. So I think it all, it all kind of comes together. Hey, so hopefully over the last four weeks, something has encouraged you when we're talking about our emotions and talking about how to have a biblical response to those things. Hey, reach out to us. Let us know how this blessed you. Um, and continue to tune in throughout the week for all of our podcasts. And we'll see you next Monday at 2.30. God bless you.